0: Well, was it enough of a scorcher for you today? Let's try and keep up some of that heat here tonight on the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show, the show where we educate men and women and they about sexual health, how it relates to overall health, making relationships the best they can be. I am Maureen McGrath. I am hosting this show. I'm also in clinical practice in North Vancouver and Vancouver for sexual dysfunction. I'm a Huffington Post blogger, a researcher, author of the book Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. And I have one more thing to add to my repertoire and that is that I am now co-hosting HealthWorks Radio Show with Alan Glasser, a health Program that airs right here on CKNW Saturday nights at 6 p.m., from 6 to 7 p.m. So, hopefully, you will tune in to hear me there as well. We'll cover a wider range of subjects, although I have threatened to inject a little sex into that program as well. At least try and make it a little bit more sexy. Welcome to the show. It is my sincere pleasure to be here with you tonight, as it is every Sunday night, live here from the studio, a beautiful place with a gorgeous view. Lots of sexual health subjects to discuss tonight. There's something for everybody here on this show, regardless of whether you are in a relationship or if you've just broken up in a relationship, regardless of whether, of whomever you are in a relationship with, all and any of the subjects that are discussed here on this show may apply to anyone at any time. I just wanted to say that. So don't feel like this is a show for middle-aged married people. It is not. It is a show for you, for me. For they, for anybody, anybody who wants to listen and perhaps improve the quality of their relationship, improve the quality of their life, because sex is related to health. I'm a registered nurse by training, and uh, I see this uh, so much in my clinical practice. Often the troubles that belie someone's sex or relationship issue is about their health. Speaking of health, I finally dipped my toe into the uh, wild blue ocean today, back in swimming. If you've been listening to me for a while, you know that I'm a swimmer, an ocean swimmer, and uh, I have been delaying jumping in because the weather hasn't been all that warm, and the ocean is not that warm either, but uh, I did my inaugural swim, my three buoy swim. And uh, so I was very happy with myself. I did want to say that normally when I start swimming and exercise is really important. Sex is about blood flow. This is the time you put the kids to bed. Okay. Uh, Listener discretion is advised. Uh, Sex is about blood flow. And I've been working out if you've been listening to the show, Sean Seal of Upside Strength has been providing me with virtual training, uh, upper body strength to to improve that because I'm a weakling from the waist up. Anyway, <laughs> that was bad. Uh, so <laughs> I went into the ocean today and normally my, I have a routine and I do the breast stroke, a bit of the breast stroke, then I do the side stroke and then I do the Australian crawl. Well, actually I, I usually start with a bit of Australian crawl because it's so cold. And so, you know, I did the Australian crawl the whole way and, and it didn't faze me. It was fantastic. So I feel like lifting those weights for the last several weeks has increased my upper body strength. Anyway, hey, Mike, it's uh, great to see you. Yeah, it's good to be back. Yeah, that's great to have you back. Thanks for working the boards for me. No worries. And any other power tools I may bring in here. I may need some help (laughs) from you. My pleasure to help there as well. (laughs) Oh, excellent. (laughs) I know you've been searching. (laughs) (laughs) I'm kidding. Inside joke. Uh, anyway, great to have you. Thanks so much for your help, Mike. I, Mike helps with the music and with the board op and answering your calls. You can call me 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You can email me, talk at cknw.com. I, I, will, I may write a blog about you or I may include you in a chapter of my book, Sex and Health, Why One Can't Come Without the Other. And I, I think I have one here that's already uh, in an envelope. It has postage on it, just waiting for somebody to... So you can call me if you want a copy of my book, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Everybody that I promised a book to, I've already mailed it out, but I just mailed it out yesterday, so bear with me. Um, Getting organized, you know, I've had a lot on my plate this last little while, uh, finishing up that book. And I did a TEDx talk uh, last weekend at the Queen Elizabeth Theater. I'm going to read you a lovely email that I got uh, from a, a mother uh, that came as a surprise, but made my heart beat just a little bit faster. And I was very uh, happy to receive that. I'll tell you that whole story a bit later in the program. Um, but, you know, with being so busy, sometimes I like to be organized. And uh, because I think if we're organized, we're actually more productive and our heads are, are clearer. And so I'm going to talk to you about depression and uh, having clutter all around you and how removing the clutter from your life can actually improve how you feel about yourself, your emotional health, your mental health, your productivity, less is more, you know? And, uh, so to that end, I've had a couple of, uh, organizers in my house recently while I've been in bed with coffee. Uh, anyhow, (laughs) and, uh, that's all leave the rest up to your imagination well we have lots coming up on the program tonight so as I said please put the kids to bed first not in your bed please put them in their own beds because that will impact your relationship Um, otherwise uh, people-pleasing and dating Dr. Ann Brown is going to join me a little bit later on in the program second half of this hour this show now goes till 10 o'clock so lots of time for sex and sexual health education get in bed with your lover a glass of wine and have a listen. You might learn a thing or two from somebody. I've great guests tonight. I'm so happy about that. So are you a people pleaser? What does that mean? Does that mean that you put somebody else in front of yourself before your own needs? Did you know that can wear you out, exhaust you, and you may lose respect from somebody that you love? I'm a reformed people pleaser myself. I like to say I'm still in recovery and I used to be really nice. <laughs> You can imagine what I was like, because I still consider myself a pretty nice person, but I was like super, totally nice. I'd give you my car, I'd give you a TV, I'd give you whatever you wanted, the shirt off my back, practically, Uh, depending on where we were, of course, but uh, also Dr. Lawrence Yang joins me tonight to discuss Prince's death from a fentanyl overdose and what you need to be aware of when a doctor haphazardly prescribes you or your teenage child a narcotic, which was happened to a patient of mine's daughter this week. Uh, so we'll talk about that and how those drugs can grab you. And as I mentioned, I'm going to talk to you about a heartfelt letter that I'm going to read to you, a heartfelt letter I received from a mother who attended TEDx Stanley Park last week, and it just came at the right time for me. As I mentioned, depression and clutter. Also, seven common relationship problems and how to overcome them, regardless of whether you are in a relationship with a man, a woman, they, two people. Anyway, there can be lots of problems. I'm also learning from my clinical practice that oral sex is is an issue. A lot of women are not uh, fond of oral sex. So we're going to start that conversation tonight and why that can be uh, very enjoyable, thinking... The sex sounding like it's kind of boring out there. Anyway, I'm here to help. Uh, late in life virginity. Is that you? Do you know anybody who didn't lose their virginity until they were 40, 50? There are people. We're going to talk about it. And guess what, ladies? We have not cornered the market on faking orgasms. Men fake this too. Not as frequently. Learn the reasons why tonight. But first up, why is it important psychologically and physically that all men who have sex with men are tested for HIV. Dr. Susan Holtzman, principal investigator of a very interesting study, joins me next. So remember, if you have any questions about any of the things that we're talking about tonight, give us a call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898. On your cell, the lines are open, and I'd love to hear from you. Or you can email me if you're shy, sextalk at cknw.com. Know that you don't have to give your real name. Most people who call in here do not give their real name, and that's absolutely fine. Anonymity is fine. Everybody thinks that people can recognize their voice. I say they can't. They can recognize mine for sure, but not yours indeed. But uh, anyway, stay with me. Uh, We're going to be talking about MSMs, men who have sex with men. I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. The first subject up is men who have sex with men. Men who have sex with men, also known as males who have sex with males, are male persons who engage in sexual activities with members of the same sex, regardless of how they identify. Many such men do not sexually identify as gay homosexual or bisexual. There was a very interesting research study that was done recently by my guest, Susan Holtzman. Uh, It it is called Predictors of HIV Testing Among Among Men Who Have Sex With Men, a focus on men living outside major urban centers in Canada. Hello, Susan. Hi. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? Great. Uh, Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for joining me about this very important subject. I really appreciate it. You're the principal investigator on this study?
1: Indeed, yes. Um, Although I have to give a lot of credit to the Living Positive Resource Center in the Okanagan, who we partnered with to do this study, and uh, colleagues, uh, Zach Walsh and Eli Putterman, as well at UBC.
0: And Zach Walsh was a guest on the show just a couple of weeks ago. Oh, that doesn't surprise me. He's in the news a lot these days, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He's fantastic. Well, it's great work. And what uh, men who have sex with men do not necessarily identify as gay? Or, or bisexual. Correct. Uh, so what uh, was the impetus for this research, this online survey that you did?
1: Well, we were actually contacted by Daryl Roberts and Kevin Sayamore at the Living Positive Resource Centre to to work together to learn more about the experiences of men who have sex with men in smaller centres outside places like Vancouver and Toronto, Montreal. And that really is where the overwhelming majority of research has been done has been in these major centers and at least from a research perspective we don't know a lot about the experiences of men living outside those big centers where life is a lot different.
0: Absolutely. I I did a TEDx Stanley Park talk last week and I mentioned one of my patients and he was a 40 year old man who was set to marry a beautiful and accomplished woman but the only problem was that he was gay and he Uh um... Did He had a plan that when his parents died, he would then divorce this woman and marry the love of his life. Uh, his parents were only in their 60s. But uh, this man, you know, suffered psychologically and, and physically and was set to uh, continue that suffering because he could not sexually express himself properly and live the way he really wanted to because his family was so embarrassed and had so much shame. And and this seems to be an overriding uh, uh, result in in your research that um, people the men didn't want to actually come out to their doctors so it would affect their their physical health
1: hmm yeah so about 35% of the men in our sample had not disclosed same-sex practices to their physicians so this suggests to us some obvious fear or at least discomfort in having an open conversation with their physician
0: and this would impact their health care because they would be less likely to have HIV testing, which is what you found as well.
1: Absolutely, yeah, so um, that lack of communication is is having an impact on whether they're getting tested. We can't say for sure our study was a cross- sectional survey, so we can't say for sure that it was a causal factor, but you know, it just it makes sense if you're if you're not having those open conversations you're less likely to be recommended to have a test. At the same time, right now BC guidelines recommend physicians are asking all their patients to have at, at least one HIV test and then and take it from there. So, in a sense it really shouldn't even matter what their what happens in their bedroom, they should be getting a test no
0: matter what. Right. And do you think that the doctors are actually carrying through with that guideline and asking everybody to have HIV testing? You know, that's a good
1: question. Um, Based on our study, my answer would have to be no. Mm -hmm. 24% of men, so almost a quarter of the men in our study, had never been tested for HIV.
0: And I know that sexuality, sexual health, sexual dysfunction is a discomfortable. It's a it's a very it's a discomfort or an uncomfortable subject for doctors. Many doctors have disclosed that secret shame to me, to mm-hmm. be totally honest with you. Do you think that the doctors are uncomfortable as well with uh, people in same sex relationships, or with HIV testing, or with uh, just the whole? Uh, do you think they're perpetuating this um, inability for people to sexually express themselves? Do you think our healthcare—I mean, it's a big question—if our healthcare providers are actually contributing to this?
1: Hmm. Well, in our study, we didn't speak with healthcare providers, so it's hard to really say from that perspective. But from just some anecdotal comments that were written into our survey from men, um, they did express concern or even experiences of discrimination from their health care providers because of their um, experiences and their, their experience and uh, with other men. So we're seeing some of that come out in our results. And, um, you know, at a basic level, there's just very, very little time spent in medical school on sexual health, let alone sexual minority health. So... From that perspective, it's just not—they don't get exposed.
0: That's right. You're absolutely correct. And I—I um, I spoke to 40 GPs at Mount Saint Joe's a couple of weeks ago, and since then, I've been asked to speak to seven different groups of medical physicians and residents and interns uh, about sexuality and sexual health. And I, I mean, I, I rip open the sheets on it for them. I am like completely out there, bring the toys, everything. I show them all they don't know. And, and honestly, you know, nothing against them. They've not been taught. And of course they too come to the table with their religious beliefs and their cultural expectations and, and their shyness and their shame and whatever they were educated uh whatever it was uh, appropriately or inappropriately in their teenage years um so it's a, it's very interesting that uh you know they're they're feeling that discrimination those the patients which is such a shame especially we don't think that in healthcare we can ever possibly discriminate
1: yeah absolutely i'm i'm curious to hear when you when you had those sessions um were was there openness to have those conversations was there an appetite to learn
0: more? There is. And I always give the doctors a, a particular model that I use so that they can actually take that away. It's a very simple model that they can literally follow called the plicit model, where I ask permission, even though every patient that comes to me, comes to me for sexual dysfunction. And so I still ask them out of respect, are you okay that I'm going to ask you these sexual health questions? If at any point you're uncomfortable with what I'm going to ask you, you can please have me stop. Um, and, and then I give limited information and then specific suggestions, and then I may put them onto intensive therapy. So at least doctors like order and they like chronology and they like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, something to follow. So that gives them, okay, that, that seems comfortable enough for them. And then I give them a few questions. I ask everybody that comes into my clinical practice, two questions. And I believe all healthcare providers should ask these questions. Are you sexually active? Uh, And have you ever been sexually abused or had experienced unwanted sexual advances as a child or an adolescent or at any other time? And that brings out so much uh, information um, from people. And it's at that time, like people know they can come to me and I will never judge and I will never tell anybody uh, about them. I may write a blog later. No, (laughs) you know, I may, I actually, these, these issues are so common that I compile them and I, and I write blogs. Yes, I do. And, or I, I write articles or I uh, give speeches uh, and have all these, because everybody thinks they're alone. There's such a shame around sexuality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think the same thing happens. I'm a psychologist and I know. The same thing happens with uh, depression or uh, mental health issues is that doctors often don't want to ask because they don't want to sort of open that Pandora's box and and they're not sure what to do with the information that they get.
0: Exactly. And I just give them some tools to to what to do with the information once they have it. But this internalized homophobia is really such a shame for people to live with because it will be detrimental to their psychological health, and you understand that as a psychologist, Mm
1: -hmm. and and also
0: their physical health. So we we have a long way to go here.
1: Absolutely. And, yeah, speaking of mental health, that was something that uh, definitely not all of our uh, participants endorsed, but there was a a group of, of people in our study that were endorsing these these internalized these this internalization of, of society's negative views towards gay men you know I I've, I've tried to be attracted more attracted to women you know I'm sure your uh, the example you gave at the beginning of our conversation is a is a, a good reflection of that um, and that has implications for someone's mental health but then our findings suggest that also is impacting, their physical health. So if you have those just deep negative views about yourself, you're you're not going to take care of yourself emotionally or physically.
0: That's right. If you don't value yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Susan, thank you so much. We're running against the clock here. Thank you so much for the great work. And uh, I'd love to see you, what you do with this and what uh, your next research is. <laughs>
1: Great. Thank you so much. It was great speaking with you. Oh,
0: well, thank you so much. And where can people read a bit more about the study? Do you have that on? Is it on? Uh,
1: our uh, our study was published in AIDS Care about a month ago, um, so they can find it uh, on Access there. I think I'll put it up online on ResearchGate on my, my ResearchGate website, so yeah. uh, people can have a look, and it's been written about in the CBC lately. so
0: That's fantastic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, Susan Holtzman, thanks so much for joining me. Dr. Susan Holtzman and I am Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. And when I come back, people pleasing. Welcome back to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I am Maureen McGrath, a registered nurse, your host. I'm in clinical practice in sexual dysfunction, health and relationships Uh, There are many subjects on this show that address issues that come up in relationships, and I'm going to be talking with Dr. Ann Brown very shortly about people-pleasing. Do you know any people-pleasers? I'm a recovering people-pleaser myself, and I'm glad to know that people-pleasers have been defined as the most helpful and nicest people you could know. They never say no. You can always count on them for a favor. In fact, they spend a great deal of time doing things for other people. They get their work done. They help others with their work. They make all the plans. They're always there for family members and friends. So far, it sounds like a great thing. Unfortunately, this can be an extremely unhealthy pattern of behavior. And believe you me, I have broken down myself as a result of my people-pleasing activities, which are hopefully in my past. But, you know, we still do that. I'm still constantly pulling it in, saying, focus on yourself first, get your things done first, and then help others if they need it. Here to discuss this further with me and give me some therapy, which is long overdue, is Dr. Anne Brown, who wrote the book on people-pleasing. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you? Nice to talk to you tonight. Nice to talk to you. Sometimes it's hard to say no. (laughs) And I love that about you.
2: You know, um, when we empathize more with other people than we do with ourselves, we get ourselves into trouble. So it's sort of like that oxygen mask. If you don't put it on first, you're not going to be able to help others.
0: Are you? Yes, I use that example quite a bit in my clinical practice. And when you have experience with this kind of thing, with being a people pleaser, I don't know if you are a recovering people pleaser.
2: I book many of the examples um, are of me, and it's after you get beat up enough, you decide that, I mean, you either get sick or you say enough. That's and it. And I think it's a constant journey because the takers come in all different forms, and they can really outsmart you. So you have to be vigilant every day. And it's what we were trained as women, and I'm a nurse as well, as nurses. We were trained to take care. We were trained to not rock the boat. And so we're really shifting a paradigm. So we have to have a little uh, compassion for ourselves. But um, if we don't shift that paradigm, if we don't rock the boat, if we don't take care of ourselves first,
0: you just will get sick. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, now, one thing about me is I actually like to make people happy. <laughs> I like to make them laugh. I like to have fun. I like to not sweat the small stuff. Uh, you know, just everybody get along and that is that's not realistic, right? I can't control all that. I can't make every. I remember when I was a head nurse and I used to by lunch for the entire staff, and uh, they would like slam the door on my face, or they, you know, treated me terribly. Yeah. I just was constantly trying to make them happy, yeah. and I was never—I just didn't have that capacity to make that them happy. I have the capacity to make myself happy. That's
2: true. Um, you know, I I say to people, "Nice" is not a word I want people to use about me. Kind effective, powerful, gets things done, straight shooter. But nice means you're just telling me what you think I want to hear, not what I want to hear, but what you think I want to hear. Can you just even imagine how difficult that is? got to turn yourself upside down. So you thought they wanted lunch when maybe they just wanted the best teacher ever who kicked their butts but you made up in your head that they wanted you to buy lunch. Unfortunately, what happens is then you build resentment because why didn't anybody buy lunch for you? Or why didn't they say thank you? Or why didn't they like you? You know, I think what you have to do, you rock the boat and you shake anybody out that doesn't belong in the boat. And then you have people who, want you for you, which is really the only way to go in
0: life. Absolutely. And it's that earning respect in a way. It's, you know, nobody's coming to my birthday party except yep. for my friends yep. or people that I actually want on the boat. Yep. Um, but yes, uh, I, I say I used to be really nice. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm just nice, which I, I'm still working on. It as I say, I'm recovering, but this is not about me. Why do people become people pleasers in the first place? And why is it more women than men?
2: it actually I, I don't know i mean my editor and i fought about this he said this is a woman's book and every man who read this book said you don't know me well enough but this book is out about me so i'm not sure i think i think we were trained that way but when you have a dysfunctional family and your wants and needs or as one woman said to me when i said can your daughter make requests of her father to have better visitation time. She said, "If my daughter makes requests of her father, he will hit her." So if you Ooh. grew up in a dysfunctional family, well, now where-
0: who didn't grow up in a dysfunctional? I mean, really, every single family is dysfunctional in in its own right. Um, you know, it's true, but some more produce this thing
2: either you were taught as i was be compliant be nice be a good girl or it didn't there was no place for you to have a voice in your family and i think that's the the more dysfunctional the more there isn't room for you to have a voice you can't say you know what i'd like to play soccer because the father's coming home and he's drunk and everybody's you know working around that or because there's somebody very sick or because it's organized around somebody mentally ill. There's no place for you and what you want. So you become compliant and nice and you don't get into trouble and you don't get hit. And that's in the extreme cases, that's how it's built. But in the other cases where it was just our heritage, we were raised to be nice and compliant. We you know, weren't raised to have a backbone.
0: Right. You know, I have the gentlest father in the world and just just the loveliest man. And he would say, it's nice to be nice. And, you know, he was right. <laughs> but then I remember going back to him and saying, but people aren't nice out there. You know, how do you deal with that? Yep. You know, and I have an easygoing personality. And, and that was my next question. How much does a person's personality play into it? I, I mean, a lot of this stuff, I just think it is not even worth the time.
2: Yeah, but see, you just have to micromanage that one thing you just said. I have an easygoing personality, but you bump up against my standards, and you're going to hear from me. So if you offend me, if you don't keep your agreements, if you insult me, you're going to hear from me.
0: Do I, have, I, I say I have my uh, principles.
2: We if we take a walk or a hike or a restaurant or any of that stuff, no. I, I, I don't have opinions, but I have standards. And right. what you have to translate is you have to have standards about how people can treat you. Oh, Each yeah. Going is fine. It's not contraindicated with having a backbone. But standards, different deal. And you, you need to teach people. Because if you teach people they can walk all over you or abuse you, they will. Trust me.
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I believe that wholeheartedly. And that this can cause a problem in a relationship because relationships and sex are about power or the balance of power. Yep. And so one person can be doing everything or, you know, going to every restaurant that the other person wants and every movie and every type of walk or, um, you know, bending over backwards to making sure that the house is in perfect order and... Um, everything is absolutely perfect and there can be one dish out of place and somebody can can lose it and all the people pleasing in the world won't help that
2: no but you need to you need to see how crazy that is that that dish is going to be as though you stabbed somebody in the back <laughs> That that You need to say, you know, I have a standard that I can have a dish out of place and nobody is going to explode here.
0: Exactly. So we're going to I'm going to ask you to hang on with me, if you don't mind, please. And uh, when I come back, I'd like to ask you, how can people overcome this people pleasing thing, especially in a romantic or intimate relationship? I'm Maureen McGrath. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Of course, you can call me anytime 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell if you have any questions at all about sex, health, or your relationship. We're talking right now about people pleasing. Dr. Ann Brown joins me on the line and we've got some history uh, about people pleasing and how people tend to become people pleasers. And now we're going to talk about what you can do about it if you recognize any of the signs in you hello Dr. Brown hello thanks for staying with me
2: yes Um, so what can you do about it I'll give you a couple quick things one a man that I worked with severe people pleaser I told him to start saying I don't know just say I don't know when somebody asks you he wrote me back and he said that was the most powerful thing that you told me I now say I don't know I wait till I get home and of course when I get home I have no desire to drive everybody to the airport or whatever they ask me to do and then I'm able to say you know it doesn't work for me a group that I studied with we used to do group sessions where one person would sit in the middle And we would all make requests to that person, and that person would have to say no. That was the requirement. No, thank you for asking. No story. You can practice it. You can train your body, get a friend, do it back and forth. However you do it, you just have to start. It's just getting the first four, five, six, seven of saying no, and then you ask yourself – Did I want to do that? And nine times out of ten, no, you didn't. You were doing it so that person would like you, or you were doing it because you wanted to avoid conflict. Unfortunately, that conflict gets in your body in the form of resentment. So you take on all the bad juju, which why are you doing that?
0: And resentment really is detrimental to your physical health and yeah. can also impact an intimate relationship. When you resent somebody that is expecting to have sex with you, yeah. you can be, I mean, I've had patients who've told me they were flipping the bird behind um, behind yeah. their lover during uh, intimate times. They had so much anger and so much built up resentment that they lose it. Do people come to you depleted uh, because that's certainly what I've seen, is people are absolutely depleted by doing everything for everybody, the type E personality, that yeah. never-say-no personality.
2: Yes, and I heard so many times when I was interviewing women for my book, I heard so many times how, how many women have had sex just,
0: quote, to get it over with. The duty sex, absolutely.
2: Rather than say, no, hon, thanks for asking, check
0: in tomorrow. Exactly. Because they can't say no to a, a partner they might be angry with. They're yep. warding off yep. uh, his or her anger, yep. uh, depending on whether they are in a heterosexual relationship or same-sex dyad. Yep. Um, yeah. So people, once they are giving and giving and giving to so many people, they literally become physically depleted and emotionally exhausted.
2: And they live in resentment, which is, you owe me. Well, the only reason you owe me is because I let the scale get out of balance.
0: Exactly. You
2: think it's the other person's fault. And then I've had people say to me, I don't want to be around that person because they always make requests of me. Well, okay, that's probably the universe trying to teach you how to say, you know what, thanks for asking. That's so nice you asked me, but no, I can't do it. Just like that. No story they for asking, I cannot do as you ask.
0: Yeah, you don't have to say, I'm actually finishing my book or I'm, or, I'm going away that day. Or no, Nobody's writing a book about, oh, about your you life. And you
2: know what? Most people use illness because if you say I have cancer, who's going who's to push you? And I have never done the research, but I would be interested how many very sick people can't say no.
0: I I think so. I think depletion has a huge role in physical and emotional illness. I think doing so much and and getting absolutely exhausted and not uh, having any self care, any respect for yourself. How about empathic people? People who tend to feel uh, a lot for other people and and they. You just have to put your own. You
2: have to put your empathy for yourself before you put your empathy for others. It's that oxygen mask, right? If so I don't care, but
0: take those, care those people. Of those people that are less than empathic, and they, they get people around them to do things uh, for are, them.
2: Those are what I call takers, and they smell. They know they do. who can't say no. I mean, they smell them. That's they, a-
0: You're absolutely correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And so do you see people, once they have e- enacted this saying no, the power of saying no, get they get a backbone, do you see them... Uh, resurrecting as a new life or uh, becoming a a new person, a more confident person, a healthier person, a happier person.
2: Yes, and you know what they even discover? I had one woman say to me, um, she said, what I realized after I started saying no is all somebody has to do is come to me and say, oh, my office is such a mess, and they didn't even ask me to help clean it up, but I offered I'm like, oh, my goodness. Do you see how you've given yourself away? Nobody even has to ask you. They just have to
0: vomit. Exactly.
2: A breakdown on your head. And you're going to run around and clean it up.
0: That's right. And how about the world today? Women are working inside and outside the home. We're still doing the lion's share of the housework, and that's according to research. Yeah. Uh, men uh, don't do as much because they feel they're not that good at it. Well, practice no, no, makes no, no, perfect. No. I
2: tell you, men, see, women are, uh, we're kind of stupid in this. We give and give and give. And then when we get resentment, what do we do? We give more. So husbands come into my office and she'll say, but I did this for him and I did that for him and I did this for him. And he'll go, I didn't ask her.
0: Right. Exactly.
2: Why didn't he do it for me?
0: Well, it's, he didn't ask you to do that. But there's this expectation in society out there that women are to be perfect, have the perfect children, the best job, fantastic, the house is amazing. Everything is lined up and orderly and, and perfect. And then... They bust, and we find out that things are not so perfect in that little white house. I would suggest <laughs> that women have all that if they want, if being
2: perfect is important to you, but you need to learn to delegate. That means the kids do things. That means hubby gets off his butt and does things. That means you hire people.
0: And to all the husbands out there who are getting off your butt and doing something, thank you. <laughs> We're not talking about you. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
2: And I am I am I promise you men have this as much as women so that means the woman has to get off for a little and help too
0: oh absolutely and a lot of people in general just think nobody can do it as well as they can do it they have to make but the who beds cares? exactly who cares? the house is going to stand a hundred years from now doesn't right. matter these right. are the kinds of things that just don't matter in life anyway
2: 1025 who is going to care that that dish was
0: washed just the way you wanted it exactly exactly well thank you so much dr Brown for joining me thoroughly enjoyed this and I think I've taken a few
2: and thank you for uh, sharing your journey because it's a phenomenal journey once you get on the road
0: oh absolutely it's fantastic yes I I completely I don't even think about anybody else anymore it's me it's all about me (laughs) me 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 (laughs) but thank you so much dr. Anne Brown, for joining me. I'll have to have you back on the program because I, I know you are in the field of empowering women in many different arenas of life. So thank you so much for your great work. All right.
2: Thank you. And your website is? Uh, www.backbonepower.com. There's just tons of free information on it. Please um, come visit it and you can get the free Uh, For free, you can download the first chapter of my book, which is Backbone Power, The Science
0: of Saying No. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Dr. Ann Brown. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Welcome back. I'm Maureen McGrath. You're listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. Well, that's the first hour of sex. All of this is related to sex. Everything is related to sex. And as you learned last week, even commercial leasing, if you were listening last week. Thanks for being here with me. Thanks for joining me. This program would be nothing without you, the listeners, the emailers. And the, those who dare to call. So feel free to call me. Don't be afraid. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You can always visit my website, which is backtothebedroom.ca. I'll be launching my new blog shortly. I'll let you know about that. I have uh, some speaking engagements coming up, but they're mainly to physicians, which is uh, interesting. Um, so, But I do have some things coming up in the fall as well, the Magnificent You event, which is going to be in New Westminster on September 24th and 25th. I'll be talking on September 24th, but otherwise over the summer, it's pretty much, uh, I'm getting the healthcare practitioners up to date on sex. I'm actually going to be in one of the cardiologist's office, Dr. John Weisler, he's a regular guest to this program regular health contributor, I should say, and I'm going to be in his office dispensing some sex wisdom. So uh, if you need to make an appointment, have your heart and your genitalia checked. That could be the place where you should go. But I will be reporting on that, uh, le- certainly learning uh, from the patients there and some of the issues, because if you have heart disease or have had a heart attack, a lot of people are very scared about uh, having sex or resuming sex again. When I come back in the next hour, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Lawrence Yang. We're going to be talking about Prince and the fentanyl death. I'm also going to be talking about later in life virginity. Uh, Did you lose your virginity late in life? What's normal? When when do most people do it? There's nothing normal. If you don't know me by now, know that there's nothing normal. Lots of questions about erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation. So I'm going to be uh, addressing some of that. Oral sex as well uh it's it's enjoyable ladies uh it's uh, great you got to be vulnerable and uh it can be some of the most pleasurable sex but I'm learning from a lot of patients in my clinical practice that they just don't like that they're not comfortable with it and as a result not just that but other things are impacting a pleasurable sex life. What impacts anorgasmia? And have women cornered the market on that? I don't think so. Also going to review clutter and depression, what it does to your mental health and what that might do to your relationship as well. And I had the most beautiful and timely letter from a mother who attended TEDx Stanley Park last week. And I'm going to read that letter to you when I come back. So thank Hopefully you'll stay with me in the second hour, 9 to 10 p.m. You are listening to the CKNW Sunday Night Sex Show. I am Maureen McGrath. Stay with me. We've got lots more to talk about.